If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12, I'll be reading this morning those verses. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Well, what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So therefore, in all these things, whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them. For this is the law and the prophets. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Well, we are turning this morning to that last verse uh, that we just heard read. Matthew 7 and verse 12. Therefore, in all things... Whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them, for this is the law and the prophets. And I just want to address something that some of you are already wondering, maybe even questioning, um, and that is why why are we going to spend an entire sermon uh, on just one verse, uh, particularly one verse that we are all already familiar with? I I mean, the, the, the golden rule. You know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Uh, anybody heard this before? Hmm? Um, and the thing of it is, is it isn't just familiar to us. It's, it's familiar to those outside the church. Your unsaved friends and neighbors and coworkers know this golden rule. In fact, they're very happy uh, to recite it to you. Uh, at times, we, we, we've already noted this um, tendency in Matthew 7. Remember verse 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. The, the world is glad to say to the Christian, hey, don't, don't judge me. You're judging me. And they may well go on to say, you have to treat me the way I want to be treated. Do unto others. That's your golden rule. They know the rule. We know the rule. So why spend an entire sermon on Matthew 7.12? Well, um, I want to just suggest to you some reasons, um, and then we'll search the scriptures to see if these things be true. Um, 
and then that'll be it. First reason, the golden rule, rightly understood in its context, we're going to spend a lot of time on context this morning, proves professed faith in Christ as it is worked out in real relationships. Now, just think about that. The golden rule proves professed faith in Christ as it is worked out in real relationships. In other words, Christians are not those who simply believe right things. Christians are those whose believing right things leads to them doing right things. Or you could put it this way. The golden rule radically transforms relationships. What relationships? All of them. All of them. To live under the rule of Christ as king is is to live a radically other-focused life, says Jesus. Not a self-centered life, a self-protective life, a self-absorbed life. We do that by nature, To be ruled by Christ as king is to wake up every day and no longer ask, you know, what's this day got for me? What do I want for me today? How can my interactions with others be managed in such a way that it works for me? Instead, the believer, the person of faith, Asks what? Lord, how can I most benefit the people that you have ordained to be in my path today? How can I do them actual good in every circumstance? So the golden rule radically transforms relationships. That's that's the first reason we want to camp out on this one verse. As familiar as it is. Secondly... This simple rule or or principle, do unto others, radically transforms a Christian's relationship with God. Just think about it. I do not have within myself the ability to relate to other people this way. I just don't, and neither do you. Living day by day, even moment by moment, thinking of others instead of myself... That's unnatural. You you could even say it's supernatural. So the golden rule continuously strengthens my dependence upon God. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. The heavenly life that is other-focused, that that is gladly self-forgetful, Such a life absolutely depends upon the constant provision of our generous Father. So there's a third reason, and I I can see it on your faces. You're already thinking, well, good heavens, this is going to take a while. Um, and And it will, that's fine. The third reason we're camping out on this one verse today, uh, this simple rule, activated by the Holy Spirit, that's critical, enlivens the witness of Christ's church in its community. What church? This church. What community? This one. 
The golden rule opens doors for gospel witness that had previously been closed. I ask you, church, do we want this? Of course we do. Of course we do. And if all of that seems like making too much out of too little scripture, let's just, I just encourage you, let's be good Bereans. Let's just look at the scripture now and see if these things be so. Matthew seven twelve says Jesus, Therefore, in all things, whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Remember, Matthew's gospel presents to us uh, Christ as king. Jesus of Nazareth is the long-awaited, long-promised savior and king of God's people. The king has come to save his people from their sins and he's come to bring his rule, heaven's rule, into their lives and through them into his world. So so this Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus on, on a hillside along the Sea of Galilee is our king's Manifesto, in other words, for the believer, for disciples, Jesus is now describing what it looks like to live under his reign, to live as a member of his kingdom. Remember, he's not talking about how to get into the kingdom, but how do you live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Notice that Jesus says in verse 12, you, whatever you want people to do for you. And, I, and I'm just, you know, spitballing here, but I think this is to do with you. I, I really do. And it's to do with me. Your king calls you to do, that's an acting word, not just a thinking word. He calls you to act to benefit others in a way that reflects how you would want them to act in ways that benefit you. This is how your king means for us to live as those who are under his reign. In other words, this is real Christianity as opposed to hypothetical, theoretical religion. It's got skin on it. We're making tremendous progress. Notice the word therefore. Therefore, or some of your Bibles say so, I mean, points us back to what Jesus has already said in verses 1 through 11 of Matthew 7. I'm going to just give us three uh, sort of concentric circles of context here. The first context is the immediate context. Turns out when you're studying the Bible, that's always the case, all right? The immediate context is what? Matthew 7, 1 through 11. The king's people are not to be hypercritical people. We're not to have a condemning, critical spirit toward other people, always pointing out faults in them, publicly or privately. We're not to have a a judgmental spirit toward other people. But... (laughs) We are to be discerning, right? Remember when we studied that? Say yes or I won't move on. Because Jesus Jesus says, judge not, and then he gives us three examples of judging. So what is this? 
Well, there's a difference between having a critical spirit and discerning what is wrong, what is sinful in the life of another person. And so we are to be discerning and at times even help others with faults, with, with what the Bible would call sin, uh, once we've dealt with our own by God's grace. So the, so the golden rule then speaks to this immediate context. Are you still listening? You don't want to be nitpicked? Don't nitpick others. See how complex this is? You like to be given the benefit of the doubt when when others see something you've done or or hear something that you've said, extend to them the same treatment you want. So so the immediate context, again, uh, for this golden rule is verses 1 through 11 of Matthew 7. Now, we could just stop there and squeeze that and squeeze that and squeeze that, but we're going to move on. So you're, you're going to have to squeeze it on your own. The, 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 the next circle of context here, uh, verse 12, notice the term, the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. That little phrase takes us all the way back toward the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, verse 17, the king says to his people, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And so this phrase, the law and the prophets, functions sort of like bookends in the Sermon on the Mount. The main part of the sermon begins in Matthew 5, 17. Jesus is expositing the application of God's law in the kingdom of heaven. And then by the time we get to Matthew 7, 12, the main section is is now ending. All that has been said in between exposits the law of God that is now summarized in this golden rule. This is astounding. No wonder people to listen to Jesus and then marveled that he spoke as no other person had ever spoken. He's just condensed the law into a sentence. All of those verses that we looked at in the Sermon on the Mount then so far spell out how Christ's subjects are to relate to the moral law the Ten Commandments. Um, The scribes and the Pharisees, as you recall, they related to the law wrongly. They were posers. They were proud. Uh, They they were uh, religious pretenders. They, They were people who knew all the right things to say and did very little of what they said. How many of you know that is not the gospel? That is not what the power of God invading the human heart does in the gospel. The problem with the Pharisees was not the law itself. It was that the law can't fix the lawless heart. The new birth leads to a life that from now on has a heart that loves God. Do you love God that wants to obey God? However imperfectly you will do that. Think about it like this. 
Christ's life and death and resurrection do not just accomplish for you a righteousness so that your position with God is made right. That's true. Wonder that it is. But there's more, isn't there? Christ so works in you and in me so that salvation does not leave us living a life of self-indulgence and self-rule. The Bible calls that lawlessness. By grace alone, through the work of Christ alone, I've been given a new heart that loves God, that, that, that wants to live for my king Do I do so perfectly? I haven't even today. But you know what? I sure want to. And I see that he's growing me up in Jesus. Are you you growing up in Jesus? You have a sense of that. Well, I've been going to church for years. I don't know how I could possibly grow up anymore. That's not what this is about. The true gospel Imputed righteousness, justification, always comes with an imparted righteousness, sanctification in terms of practical daily living. So in other words, the gospel transforms a disciple's natural love of self into a guide for how to treat others. In fact, says the king, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus isn't saying you enter the kingdom of heaven by doing good to others. He's just saying you know you belong to the kingdom of heaven when from your heart you want to follow the example of your king in doing good to others. And the Pharisees were so hung up on believing the right things, they completely ignored doing the right things. In other words, they were hypocrites. And the believer, by God's grace, is not like that. The believer is being changed so that she is no longer satisfied to merely sound religious and do religious-looking things from a heart of insincerity. He doesn't want to be a mere academic in the things of God. No, he he wants to live out Christ's righteousness in reality with God's help. His rule, the, the, the king's rule, the king's law becomes your delight. So the golden rule then reminds you of this new heart orientation that you've been given from God. And it it spills out into love for other image bearers. What does that look like? Well, where have we already been in the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, As you've been forgiven, um, forgive others. Be ready to forgive. You'd rather your enemies were kind not cruel or indifferent to you. So be kind, not cruel or indifferent to them. If you were poor, you'd want someone to help you. So you give to the poor. As God leads, 
You're hurt in your heart when people promise you things only to say, you know what, I had my fingers crossed behind my back. I didn't pinky swear. There's too many people calling themselves Christians, by the way, doing that in their marriages. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. It's all right there in the Sermon on the Mount. So what is the context of Matthew seven twelve? The preceding verses, of course. The, the entire Sermon on the Mount, yes. Uh, but, but there's actually more uh, because the golden rule summarizes all that the Bible says to God's people about the law's demands when it comes to loving our neighbors as ourselves. In other words, the whole Bible. And, and now you're thinking, this really will be a long sermon for sure. No, 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 because the golden rule summarizes it, right? It condenses it. Notice that Jesus says, in all things, whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule then summarizes all that the law and the prophets have to say about loving other of God's image bearers. Turns out it says a lot, doesn't it? Now, the golden rule is not a substitute for everything in the Bible. Don't think that. But it is a summary. It's, it's a cheat sheet, if you will, when you're pressed for time. Are you pressed for time? Like a quarterback wears a little playback, playbook on his wrist. Have you noticed that? I always wonder what that was. I thought it was like a takeout menu or something for after the game. No, it turns out... It's like a condensed version of the manual that the coach has handed to the players and said, you guys should do this stuff. Well, how are they going to remember all of that in the heat of battle? Well, he's got a little thing on his wrist there, see? I don't even remember where I was going with that. <laughs> anyway, that, that's why I suggested that you spend some time reacquainting yourself with the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Why? Because the, the, the second half of the, of, of the table, if you will, um, is to do with love for neighbor. Well, I, I, I don't even know if I remember all of those. I mean, there are not that many, right? But, but I don't know if I could possibly remember all that the law says in terms of how to live that out. Well, you, you've got the golden rule now, don't you? There it is. Later in Matthew's gospel, are you following? Makes sense? Jesus will be asked about those Ten Commandments. They're going to say, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I mean, if you had to pick one, what, what would you pick? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Wow. Notice in that passage that Jesus does not separate love for God from love toward neighbor. They go together. In fact, they're inseparable. True love for God 
is always accompanied by love for neighbor. Says who? Says the king. Love for one's neighbor reflects genuine love for God. In other words, the motive of the golden rule isn't anything other than love toward God. That's primary. Why would I do unto others as I would want done for me? Because I think it'll work out right? Because if I scratch their back, they'll scratch mine? No, because I love my king. And this is my king's command. So, so you see what, what Jesus is doing with this golden rule. The, 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 the rule summarized that, summarizes that entire second part of, of the Ten Commandments regarding human relationships. In fact, I, I was going to call this message um, the believer's cheat sheet because I was thinking of the quarterback with the, with the takeout menu. And, um, and Pam thought, no, that, that sounds kind of funny. And, uh, and, and then I was going to call it Love's Playbook. And, and she said, no, that, that's wrong on multiple levels. <laughs> and um, praise God for our wives, men. And um, although it just occurs to me that I said it anyway. Um, <laughs> the golden rule is a portable law book. Are you hearing this? It's a portable law book, Jesus says, in terms of what it is to love your neighbor. I may not remember all of those commandments. I mean, I, I, I know the scripture tells you, know, I find my neighbor's donkey in a ditch. Am I supposed to, you know, call him and tell him about it? Am I supposed to shoot it and eat it? Am I supposed to, uh, I, I think, wait a minute, what, what would I want done? I, I think I'd want to have somebody take care of it until they could get it back to me. I should probably do that. So there's that. In all things, whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know that little phrase, in all things? I got stuck on that too. I got stuck on the whole verse, but that little phrase there, in all things, do you, I wonder why that's there. Do you think it's because our king knows that all of us, uh, at one point or another uh, begins to think things like, well, how far is this thing going to go? I mean, this could get totally out of hand, this doing unto others business. I mean, what about all the people who don't deserve this? You, you mean people like you don't deserve grace from God? William Hendrickson in his commentary on Matthew says this, he says, the golden rule implies the inner devotion of the heart to God and undivided trust in him amid all circumstances in life. Think about what he's saying. In other words, only the heart that is described in the Beatitudes can receive this rule. What, what, what is that heart? Look, look at Matthew 5 for just a moment. Um, Jesus opened his mouth, verse 2, and began to teach them, the disciples, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth, and so forth. In other words, by the way, this is, this is um, 
an, ex, an excursion, so it doesn't count against my time. But, what, but, but who is this sermon for? It's for those in whom there has been a miraculous work of God so that they see their own poverty of spirit before God. And they know that they are desperately in need of what they cannot provide themselves, and that is right standing with God. In fact, they mourn over their condition, and they are comforted. And they are brought low, not meaning unimportant but that that natural tendency that men and women like us are born with to be self-centered and to always be elevating self, that is, that is being killed off now in real time by the power of the gospel. So we could end there, um, but we won't. Um, we, we've done... Enough actual Bible study now, though, for me to suggest to you what happens when you just Google the golden rule. And I don't recommend this for Bible study, but, but every once in a while I do it because I want to know what the world says about this stuff. Be, you know, because the unsaved world knows all about this golden rule business, sort of. Secular historians will point out that this sort of rule existed long before the time of Jesus. In fact, some of them will even say, Jesus seems to be borrowing material from others. Can you imagine God the eternal son borrowing material from one of his own creatures? I mean, it's, it's absurd. But that, but that is a worldly mindset. Confucius, who lived 600 years before Jesus was born, said this, do not to others what you do not wish done to yourself. Right, that, that's good, right? That's good stuff. That's why he's Confucius, right? Do not to others what you do not wish done to yourself. All right? Even among the Jews, among the rabbis, um, there were similar statements. There's a story. Um, this is what happens when you Google stuff. Um, but anyway, there's a story about a young man who supposedly asked a group of rabbis, hey, um, which one of you can explain to me the entire law while I'm standing on one foot? Meaning, I can't stand on one foot for very long, so get to it, right? Um, and, and they all said, no, get out of here, kid, you're crazy. Um, but supposedly Rabbi Hillel, now this is a real guy, um, said this, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the entire law. All the rest is commentary. So just think about this. So, so Peter, James, John, uh, the, the, the other disciples, um, they knew this teaching from this fellow Hillel. In fact, there was a whole school of them um, who lived, you know, 20, 30 years before Jesus. And as they're listening to Jesus, our king, they realize what we're meant to realize. Jesus' teaching is radically different from that. In, in what way? Christ's rule is positive and active. It isn't merely negative and passive. Now, now, why does that matter? Because Jesus is saying, in all things, actively treat others 
the way you would want them to treat you. Loving one's neighbor then is not simply to avoid doing bad stuff to them. Well, I, I've, I've not done anything to that neighbor at all. So, I, so I've been a good neighbor. They shouldn't have any kind of beef against me. Well, the, the, the fact that you've done nothing for them is neither Christian nor neighborly, right? In fact, that is not a reflection of the gospel. How, how, how much joy would be in this room if God's message to us was, well, I, I didn't do anything bad to you. I just sort of let you go the way you wanted to go. I mean, that is the hopelessness of the world that we live in. So Christianity, life in the kingdom, real Christianity is not simply don't, don't be mean to other people. You wouldn't want that. Christianity is this. However you would have liked to have been treated in that situation you're in, you do good to that person. You love that person. You treat that person as you would have wanted to be treated. So, so the Christian... This is a work of grace. The, the Christian is, is always asking, you know, if, if I were that person at work, if I were that person in my neighborhood, in the church, how would I want to be treated in that situation? What, what is the best that I can do for them? And so this is the law of love. Love always looks for ways to act. You still with me? Romans 13, Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not work evil against a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And and then he says to the Galatians, for you, Christians, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, it occurs to me just now that we could stop there as well, but, but we won't. And, and here's why. Um, I, I want us to just go back to those three opening claims that I made. And, and, and we've looked at the scriptures. And so let's just see if they are so. I don't want you taking my word for it. Please. The golden rule, rightly understood in its context, transforms relationships, strengthens dependence upon God, opens gospel opportunities. Let's just take them one by one. What about relationships? In all things, whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them. So, so, So no longer... Do I live by the very natural question, what do I want out of this relationship? What am I entitled to? 
What, what, what works for me? What, what do I feel that I deserve from this other person? No, no, you're, you're being saved from such thinking. Now I live by the question, what, what does my king want? What, what, what would I want if I were them? God grant that I would know and have strength to act accordingly because I don't feel like it sometimes. How many of you know living by faith is often contrary to feeling? Do you care if this is practical for a minute? That means in marriage, wives, is it possible that some of you need to stop asking, you know, what, what should I be getting out of this marriage? I mean, what am I owed? Because I, I can go down to the bookstore and find all sorts of volumes written about what I'm owed in this marriage. I mean, what, what's his job anyway when, when it comes to relating to me? No, no, we're, we're, we're being rescued out of such thinking. Start prayerfully asking What does my king want out of this marriage? Because this marriage belongs to the king before it belongs to me. Marriage is a gift. I don't own it. I'm a steward. What is my role in making this marriage a bright reflection of his gospel, the beauty of the relationship between Christ and his church? Now, there's a lot that could be said about that. And, 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 and it's probably too big of an idea for a busy Monday night. And you won't have energy for it on a sleepy Saturday morning. So, so, so you grab your playbook, which tells you, well, what, what I would want done to me, God give me grace to do for him. Are you hearing this? Husbands, some of us, need to stop asking. How how can I relate toward her so that I get what I want from her? Because I've noticed that if I give this input, I get that output, and that's just a nice thing. No, that's selfish. That's insincerity. That's manipulative. In other words, that's pagan. That's what you were born to, but you've been born again to something completely other than that. Radically other than that. Well, you know, I know the Bible says an awful lot about how husbands ought to relate to their wives. It's all a, it's all a confusing tangle in my mind. Well, well, here's the good news. Jesus has now given you a portable law book. It's, it's right here. By nature, I know what I would want and I know what I would not want. And so with God's help, Depending upon him, as I receive from him, I'll do or or I'll not do as I would want done or not done to me. Now, before we do close, and I mean this sort of sincerely, um, which is a contradiction, I know, but um, (laughs) that that, that little phrase, the law and the prophets, this is is important. Um, it isn't just there for the sake of context. It, it actually help us, helps us with application in this way. You and I do not have the authority to decide for ourselves what is good and beneficial. Don't miss this. 
You and I, in ourselves, do not have the authority to decide what is good and beneficial. God does that. God does that. My neighbor, our community, does not have a right to decide what is good and beneficial and then demand from me, demand from you that we treat them that way. Don't fall for that. That's the world's version of the golden rule. You Christians, you have to do what we want. It's in your book. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. So, so when the community says that, that's our cue to just stop and, 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 and think a little bit deeper thoughts. There was an article in the, um, I think it started with the Harvard Business Review, which nobody actually reads, but, but it got picked up by the Associated Press and pretty soon it's on Facebook and then it's being Twittered and all of this sort of thing. It's all over the place. And, and, and the article basically said this, it's time to stop following the golden rule. And, and the premise is what? Um, well, in today's world, where so many different truths exist, um, we, we should change the rule so that it's more like this. Do unto others what they want you to do for them. Do unto others what they want you to do for them. Well, that's, that sounds almost right, doesn't it? No, that is actually a perversion of the truth of God. That is Satan trying to mislead through similarity. Sort of sounds right, which means it's completely wrong. It leads down a path that is destructive. Again, at the risk of making this practical, um, when the LGBTQ plus uh, community gathers in its thousands downtown, uh, which, which happened yesterday, I understand, um, and, and then says to the church, hey, Christians, you, you want us to put up with you? You want us to affirm you? Uh, you want us to put your materials in, in our public schools and libraries? Um, so you should affirm us. You, you should let us put our stuff in the public schools and libraries. Do to us as you would have us do to you. In fact, I'm, we're pretty sure that's in your book. No, no, it is not. No, it is not. What if the treatment they want from me in the moment is not what is best for them by God's measure? Every parent knows what this is, right? Every parent at one time or another gets asks for something from a child, sincere as they may be, and it's not really what's best for the child. Seems like we've covered that, right? Who decides what is good? Who decides what is beneficial? Our Father does. Our Father does. So, so if the Bible as a whole does not give freedom to do for someone what is asked, then what is asked cannot be done for them. The golden rule calls us to a higher standard. God's law itself is that higher standard. You still listening or have I lost you? Listen to Deuteronomy 12, 28. Be careful to listen to all these words which I command you, says the Lord, so that it may be well with you. So God's commands are given to his people, not because he's a killjoy, but because he loves us and his law leads us into the best life 
that he has for us. One more quick example and then we'll, we'll close. And, and, and I mention this only because it's been in the news this weekend locally and, but also because I get asked about it a bit. Um, I personally would hesitate I personally would not attend a marriage ceremony in which two people of the same sex are, are wanting me to affirm their union, so to speak. Why? Because God himself has already declared that that is not his best for them. And you say, well, that's awkward. That's crazy awkward. That'll offend somebody. Yep, sure will. God who owns marriage declares it to be the union of one man to one woman for life. So I might have to say to them with tenderness, look, I know this doesn't feel loving to you at all, but God calls you to something much better than what you're pursuing just now. And so what you're asking me to affirm, and that's what happens when you attend a a wedding ceremony, you're affirming what's happening. I cannot love you by pretending what you're doing is okay. Do you see how the golden rule, if if you take it in its context, calls us to a higher standard than just granting whatever somebody says they want? Well, all of that has to do with the golden rule, transforming relationships. I hope the second claim I made is self-evident. I don't have it in me to live this way. I mean, I'm I'm not even going to get out the door of this building today living this way without God's help. And neither are you. And so, of course... It strengthens my dependence on the Father. And so remember Jesus says in verse 8 of Matthew 7, everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be open. God's not stingy when his kids ask him for enablement to live the way he's called us to live. Finally, what about our witness in the community? The golden rule opens doors for gospel witness that had previously been closed. Um, We just heard um, about impoverished, imperiled children in need of sponsors through Compassion International. And I I don't pretend to know what the Lord is going to do with us hearing this information, Um, but but I do see in Scripture, for example, uh, that I'm at least meant to think through, well, what, what, what would I want done for me if I were so impoverished or so imperiled? Think, think of your neighbors. Do you have neighbors? Think of your neighbors. Those who are different. You have neighbors who are different? You know what I'm saying. Um, distant from God? Difficult to relate to? So glad this isn't practical. How, how would you want to be treated? Well, you don't understand what they did. No, that's not about that. How would, how would you want to be treated? Well, surely you'd not want to be ignored, cut off, left in spiritual darkness. You'd want a neighbor who took an interest in you, 
who would forbear with you, who would love you enough to take the time and energy necessary to shine the light of Jesus into your life. Do you see how this relates to your witness in the world? And mine too? It's always irritating when you, you, you read a bunch of stuff about something and you find someone who summarizes the whole thing in one sentence. Well, I found that, which is why I didn't lead with it. Um, but J.C. Ryle says this. He, he says, The golden rule settles a hundred difficult points. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. How many intricate questions would be decided at once if this rule were honestly used? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the kindnesses that have brought us from death to life. And Father, we don't want to simply leave it at that. We, we want to be changed. Lord, we want to be made into those who more and more reflect your image in your world. And so we thank you, Lord, that by your spirit, you really are killing off that natural self-centeredness and natural self-protectiveness that we're born with. And, and, and you've turned us into a people who love you and love your ways and want to walk in them. But Lord, when it comes to this business of loving our neighbor, we need your help. I pray, God, that you would pour out what is needful. We ask this so that your kingdom would um, come among us, Lord, that uh, your name, Jesus, would be exalted among us. And it's in his name.